Hey guys, today's episode of Table 40 on the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network is presented by our Increase Store and our Bible in a Year Engagement Journal, which you should pick up your copy today, especially with Matt and Leslie going through the Bible in a year. This is the companion that's going to help you, the guy that's going to help you through the passages of Scripture each and every day. You want to get this journal right now at theincrease.com theincrease.com. It's affordable and it's the perfect companion to help you grow in your faith and to stay connected to God through his word each and every day. The Bible in a Year Engagement Journal. Get yours today at theincrease.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Table 40 Podcast. Leslie and I are here and ready to continue our journey through the Bible as we've continued to work through uh, past Genesis as we head into Job. Um, okay, the... but wait, let's celebrate that for a second. Genesis is 50 chapters. Oh, yeah. And we were faithful to roll through Genesis took a, 1 through 50. About a month. Right? Yeah, yeah, it did. And it's exciting, though. It's exciting to look back on things that... Um, we've done and how much more we've learned about the faithfulness of God. I think that that's a huge highlight when you think about Genesis is all through, there's a theme of, of two things real quick that I want to meditate on for a second, or maybe the rest of the week think through these things. But number one, like God is creative and he desires to delight in us and desires to bring us into a community. Um, And that's really amazing when you think about that. And number two, like, God is so faithful and he was so faithful to work through the families of the promise and um, just the faithfulness to God needs to be thought about um, maybe, maybe a little bit more than normal today as we reflect on the 50 chapters that we walk through together over um, this Bible engagement plan, but buckle our seatbelts <laughs> today. We are in the book of Job. And so, and then we will continue our journey through Matthew. So starting with day 25, um, I guess we do finish Genesis on day 25 and, and, um, but then 26, we get into Job 1, 1. And so let me just go through day 25 and we're in Genesis uh, 49 through Genesis 50. And it just ends in a very peaceful state. So we end in Egypt, Jacob blesses his sons and he reads the blessings to think about all that we've read so far in Genesis. um, You kind of can read Genesis 49 and remember the things that, that we had read and we've been on this journey with this family and we can see that their character is revealed by the words of the father. For example, Simeon and Levi, remember them, they worked together. You weren't on this podcast. This is when Ethan and I talked about it, but they worked together to um, deceive and kill, kill a family of people. And they had them circumcised. And when those guys were down, they went in and they wiped out the community. Um, and they did that because there was a man that raped their sister. And so they go in and they grab the sister and, and they bring the sister home. And so, and when the dad is going through blessing these brothers and kind of giving them like, look, this is what your character has revealed about you. Um, I'm going to tell you the way things are going to go for the remainder of your life. Jacob predicts that they'll be scattered among the other tribes, um, when they come into the promised land 430 years later. And what's amazing about what the Bible talks about is in real time, Moses didn't know 
He's the author of Genesis. He didn't know that 430 years later, everything that Jacob had prophesied with those sons in this particular chapter of scripture ended up coming true. And in Judah, we can see for um, this example is very true of Judah as well. So we learn about in Judah's life as we reflect on the life of Judah that um, when he had this that encounter with Tamar, it transformed his life. And Jacob blessed him. Um, Judah never lost the scepter as the kings that came from him, including King Jesus. And so Genesis 49, 22 through 26 is Joseph's blessing. I think we should read it slowly and pause to think about how God protected Joseph throughout his life. Moses was writing this. Um, and again, just remember, it wasn't after the fact. He never saw uh, the distribution of the land in Israel and all prophecies of the 12 tribes came true. So I think that that's amazing when you read scripture from the position that we are in now, and we can just see the consistencies um, in the truth, actually, that the Bible is alive and active and real, and there's truth in, in scripture. And so what Moses wrote then did come to fruition 430 years later. It's amazing, huh? It is amazing. And, and, and thinking about like even reading through Genesis, like I, I've obviously read through it a lot, but there's just so much in the bible that i mean every time you read it and i think you know in talking to don uh christensen our, our friend that, that kind of helped us he's done it how many years in a row oh my gosh i forgot it's, like a, it's been a lot like yeah. 27 years in a row and but like it always it's amazing how you learn stuff every time you read it and it's just crazy like we talk about the prophecy and um I mean, I guess it's the reason it's still the number one selling book in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been on the bestseller list for. <laughs> well, and there's so it's just so there's it's it's alive. Like the word of God is alive, and I think through for those of us that are in Christ, the Holy Spirit abides in us, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit illuminates the things in our particular season of life that we're going to see things differently this year than we did last year. And I think it's fascinating, and it's such a wonderful thing to have a conversation with someone that's also reading what we're reading and to see the different things that the Holy Spirit has pointed out for them. And we get into Genesis 50 and, um, and we learn that Jacob has died. After his death, the brothers worry that Joseph is finally going to take revenge. And so if you um, remember, like there was a rift between the brothers and Joseph based on how they treated him as a young man and uh, they sold him into slavery that got him into Egypt. Um, and that's just a very fast uh, aerial view of what happened. And so now they're like, okay, dad's died. Now it's time. He's finally going to treat us for um, what we deserve. But Joseph reassures them that he has absolutely forgiven them. And in Genesis 50, 19 through 21, we learned that the reason that forgiveness was able to be applied to his brothers is because Joseph trusts God absolutely. Um, and I think that let's, I want to repeat that again, because I think that these were real men with real families and real drama, as we've read through all of Genesis 50. It's a very colorful book full of lots of lots of stories and lots of emotion that we can relate to after all of these years later. And so I think that the because of the relationship with God, this vertical relationship with God, he was able to apply things horizontally to people that mistreated him because of how he trusted the Lord and relied on the strength of the Lord. And so that's why he was able to forgive his brothers and forgive them completely. 
Um, he knows that the experience that he knows that God can turn um, bad things into great things. And he was just a catalyst of forgiveness, but it was, it was founded in his, his relationship with the Lord. Yeah. And I think he, once he, he sort of was able to see the purpose for his suffering when it came back around and he was able to, you know, I think it's easy. It's much easier to forgive when you see kind of, oh, God was in the middle of this. And here's the reason that I had to do this to get to this place to help save, you know, like he was able to kind of come full circle on why they, you know, that God sort of ordained his brothers to do this because he had a purpose. Yeah. And he does say that. He said, what you all intended for evil, God intended for good. And so I like what you said there. That's absolutely true. And so when we end the book of Genesis, the vibe is very optimistic with the exception of of the death of two very important people. But the vibe is optimistic. There's peace in Egypt and um, things are going seemingly well. Um, and then Matthew 18 describes a childlike faith and a childlike um, humility. I think it's really important um, when we when we we need to talk about this just a little bit when we're thinking about Matthew 18. Um, childish and childlike are very different. And Jesus doesn't want us to be childish, but childlike. And I pray that we can learn to trust and depend on God with a childlike vulnerability. I think that there's growth there when we look at God and we say, you know what? I trust you completely. And we're vulnerable with our fears and we're vulnerable with our worries and all of that stuff. There has to be this childlike vulnerability and trust with the Lord. And we see that in Jacob. Absolutely. But we also sometimes there's this thing about this childlike faith. Like if you don't give me what I want, that I won't love you back mm -hmm. or I'm going to rebel if you don't do things the way I want to do things. And so we are raising young kids. And so we see childlike behavior all the time, but it's also very beautiful when our kids do, um, you yeah. know, like you say, see childish yes, behavior exactly. all the time. The difference between childish yeah. and But childlike. it's beautiful when they're, when they're yeah. childlike and they just trust you, you know? Yeah. I, I think that that's it. When you're raising kids, you can dis distinguish or, or differentiate those two things very easily yeah like, you know like childlike and childish like we see it every day and it could be a, a moment to moment absolutely like you know sort of demonstration of a beautiful beautiful childlike to yucky childish that is very difficult to parent and yeah so it's like it, you know for us to dif differentiate what god is saying when he says a childlike faith i think when you're in the thick of parenting is is easy to to differentiate no doubt about it. And just imagine the challenges of God. I mean, think about all the kids he has. We only have four under this roof. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and one of them is, is old enough that really we don't. Yeah, his behavior is pretty consistent at this yeah. point. But I, I remember like, and I, I know we're trying to move through these a little bit faster, but I remember, you know, when Jackson was a little boy and I, we would fly to go and see you and he was a little skeptical of the plane thing. Like I, we used to live in Denver, you played for the Rockies and, and we would sit in the airport. You, it's a, it was actually a very beautiful airport. And he would watch those planes take off plane after plane after plane. He's like, man, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I, and I of course didn't either. I was a little afraid to fly back in those days, but we would get on the plane and he would sit on my lap. Um, and I would just sing to him and rock him back and forth. And he was like, 
If you think this is a good idea, then I think this is a good idea. And that's an example of like this childlike vulnerability and trust for his mom. You know what I mean? Like he trusted me. He knew that I would never put him in a position of, um, I wouldn't do anything bad because he knew how much he, he knew at a young age, how much I loved him. And that's the challenge. I think when I read that, I think about that and, and like, why don't we do that with the Lord? I have no idea. And so, because there's what Jesus is saying, Hey, come to me like a child, not the bratty kind, not the kind that only likes me if I do what you ask me to do, but come to me like a child and look at me like I'm a good father and I love you like crazy. And there's nothing that I'm going to do in your life that is not going to be for your good. You know, again, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and they've been called according to his purposes. And so reframe the way you think about God as a father. He's a good father and he wants what's good for his kids. And what's good doesn't always feel good. All right, we're never gonna get through this if but we don't keep moving. Um, we also see in Matthew, and I do think this is very important and then we'll, we'll move on to Job. But we also see in Matthew that Jesus encourages us to love others by refraining from conversations or activities that causes a believer to stumble. And that's in Matthew 18. And I added the conversation and activities that cause a believer to stumble. But as I was reading the word of God, and I believe the word of God is alive and active, that's what I saw. When we, when we have a brother or sister that we know um, struggles in a certain area, in order to love them well, man, I'd say it as clear as can be, don't participate in the things that the brother or sister struggles with and cause them to stumble in their faith. For example, the thing that comes to mind, a hot topic um, that, that I've been thinking through lately is alcohol. If you have a brother or sister that struggles with alcohol, that desires a sober life, don't be the one that drinks wine just because having wine doesn't seem to cause you to stumble in your relationship with Jesus. Those are examples of how we can love others well. That's what the truth says. We teach truth and we love well. And so that's a great example of just like you say all the time, like to have some core awareness, like understand your friends, understand the things that cause them to trip up. Is it gossip? Is it dessert like well, what like, is it's it like the, it's like the selfish nature like that's well, right I, I mean it doesn't bother me. i'm like i don't struggle with this so, mm -hmm. you know it's like i i guess right. it, it all leads back to our selfish nature of okay well stop worrying so much about yourself like yeah what what you know you can not have wine tonight or you can pass on the dessert or you can avoid certain conversations that you know that is going to cause them to stumble yeah. into yeah. a series of gossipy events yeah. <laughs> right and those are just practical examples of how we this truth can teach us and then this truth should cause us to love well um all right day 26 we're in job buckle your seatbelts i said that's at the very beginning job is um it's a tough book it's absolutely a tough book we're in job one and we're, and we're continuing our journey through Matthew 18 and then Psalm 16, 1 through 11. So Job 1 through 2, 13 is basically this account of Job's life. We learn um, and through scripture that, that Job has a devotion to God and his family. We learn that he was blameless and upright. And this doesn't mean that he was sinless. Blameless and upright in scripture just means this man has tremendous 
integrity. There's only one sinless man, and it was Jesus Christ. It's like Noah too. Like yes. Noah was absolutely. But Noah obviously. Yeah, got drunk, passed out, and got into some trouble. Yeah. But I do think that it's important to understand that David. David. Like, yes. Lots of examples. There's lots of examples of of blameless and upright men in Scripture, and that's absolutely right. We have Noah. We have David. Moses, Abraham. Um, it doesn't mean that they're sinless men. It it just simply like illuminates their integrity in their devotion to the Lord. Um, we understand at the very beginning of scripture that he was a very successful man. He had great wealth. He had a large family that he loved um, and Satan's irritated. And so scripture talks about how Satan goes into the courts of God. And he says, man, no wonder Job loves you. No wonder he does because you've blessed him tremendously. Um, and he's like, if I took all of this away, and I'm going to paraphrase, if I took all this away, there, there's no way he'll be devoted to you. The only reason he's devoted to you is because his life is good and he's blessed and you've put a hedge of protection around him. And so I can't get to him without your permission. And so I'm going to go ahead and need your permission to, to prove his devotion to you, because I guarantee you his devotion to you is an outward in devotion, not an inward outward devotion. And so let me do it. And God says, all right, I believe that uh, Job is sincere in his love for me. Um, and God allows Satan to hurt him. Now, I don't know that I don't, I'm not smart enough nor educated enough to get into the weeds on this deal. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to simply say like surface level, this is what scripture says. So God allows Satan to hurt him. And he says, but you can't, can't kill him. And so that's your your rule. So you can see that God is still sovereign in his power. You can see that God still has authority over Satan. And he says, you can hurt him. I know his devotion is an inward out devotion. Um, you can do anything you want, but you can't kill him. And so there, there again, just keep that in the back of your mind. I think Job would probably prefer it. <laughs> Job would have preferred death. He says so himself, yeah. but that is kind of what's going on here. In day 27 through 29, um, we read Job 4 through 14, 22. And the reason we're combining these is because it's just a very similar narrative. Um, he and his friends go back and forth. And I say friends loosely. Would you agree? <laughs> more like people that are around him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like maybe not very good friends. Well, they just must be neighbors back then. Like, yeah. <laughs> like must, you know, I'm, I'm Who needs sort friends of, like that when you have enemies? I'm like <laughs> Picturing sort of. Uh, no one lives really close, and so yeah, they didn't have a lot of the only people that he's just went to a small elementary school. Like they, yeah, <laughs> parents were friends, and so he was stuck they with these sell, guys. I don't know. They sell livestock together, like yeah, uh, something happened. There was just... no, there was yeah, there was no common bond that sort of that they. Uh, uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so so we get into day twenty seven and twenty eight, and we see that Job and his friends go back and forth. And his friends feel very strongly, um, they they just strongly suggest that innocent people don't suffer like this. And I do want to talk about that in a minute. Um, the friend that starts with an, with an E, how would you say his name? Yeah. You're better at pronouncing. So we'll call him Eli. Tricky, yeah. Eli, we'll call him Eli. Eli gently accuses Job of sinning. Um, Bill accuses Job of perverting God's justice. And Zopar... Yeah. claims that Job deserves all of this because he's guilty. However, Job claims that he's done nothing wrong and he has been mistreated by God and his friends. And so I do want to talk to you about what do you think about this? So his friends are suggesting they have this theology about God 
that says, and they have this belief and this understanding about God that says, there's no way you would suffer like this if you weren't guilty. I mean, how hurtful is that? That's what we talked about. Like, these aren't friends. Like, this isn't, um, this is as, like, this is as bad a theology. And this is, and this, I honestly think this is still very prevalent today. Um, that deep down, I think a lot of people, when they look at other people struggling or dealing with something very difficult, they think some, they must have done something to offend God. They deserve it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just, this is a very difficult book to read. And and I asked you the other day, like, there's some theories that this is poetry, and that this can't be real. Um, so I like to believe that it's more poetry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't because if we get to we get down in a couple more days and I'm it's going to be like the most awesome, awesome thing ever. So stay with it, stick with it. But I don't know that. I don't know. There are theories that believe because his name was Job, he was an actual man. Because while when it was written, it was written during a time that there were lots of jokes. Oh, we don't have to get. And so that. anyway, but, but some people do believe. I, I just think that true. when you talk about people deserving you know, we all, what we all deserve, we all know as sinful people, what we all deserve is not what we get. I mean, thankfully from Jesus is died on the cross so that we don't get what we deserve. And and so um, I, I think this is, you know, back in these times, and, and even like I said, still today, people think associated uh, sickness and, 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 and bad things and having your kids killed and your wife killed and all these things that you have somehow deserved this you know it's not happening to me so i must be doing pretty well and you have all this this just terrible things happening and um you know again god is is in the middle of it and and so um it's a it's like you said these aren't friends these are these are this isn't how friends would would react um so it's a, it's a yeah because we have to remember that this is what how his friends are treating him absolutely but scripture says at the very beginning that he was the most righteous guy on earth, basically most righteous guy on earth. And God allowed these extreme tests to happen to the most righteous guy on earth orchestrated by Satan, but under God's control still like do whatever you want to him. Don't kill him. And I mean, I don't know if he said do whatever you want, but kind of like, well, like he goes I'm back sure later and he says, Hey, um, the reason why he's lost everything, God, he's lost. Satan goes back and says, He's lost everything. Now can I inflict his flesh? Yeah. All right. Don't kill him. And so um, he's righteous and God declares him righteous. So we know because we're reading scripture that it is not because Job had done anything wrong. It isn't. It, it's it's not. He was innocent. He was righteous. He was good. He had this devotion to the Lord. But, you know, and, and so his friends are absolute we know that his friends are wrong about him but job sits in this misery and so he has all these things going on in his life and yet now his friends are piling on and his friends are basically saying like um you know you deserve this mm -hmm. you deserve this because you don't you're not honoring god's you're not like god's justice doesn't matter to you and and you deserve this because um <laughs> yeah. you, innocent people just don't suffer like this job and so they're trying to place a system on a holy God. And they're trying to say like A plus B equals C here. And so if I behave, God blesses me. And um, and that clearly is not what's happening here. And so on day 30, we see Job 15 through 18, 21. Job's friend Eli um, continues to point out rather aggressively that Job lacks wisdom. 
And I think we should take a look at Job 15, uh, three through six. And hold on, it's gonna take me one second to get here. Um, it says, would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value, but you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. And so these are very, very strong opinions of what's coming out of Job's friend, Eli. And he's basically saying, Job, you lack wisdom. And you, you, you're not even participating in being obedient to the words that you have told us for all of these years. And um, anyway, I, I just think that that's pretty, I mean, that that's a, that's a very harsh statement to, to make. Um, and suffering isn't easy to understand um, because Eli is trying to understand suffering. Like I said, he's trying to place a system on suffering and he's just saying, absolutely, I can't comfort you because your suffering is a re result of your sin and you uh, aren't wise. You've had wise words, but you're not, you're not um, applying those wise words, wise words to your life. Um, and then we see in 16, one through six, Job responds. And just to summarize his response, he's basically saying, you guys are the worst. You're the worst friends ever. Agreed. Like you, you're not nice to Hard me. To argue. And so in Job 16, 7, he begins a dialogue primarily focused on God. And Job also contemplates the end of his life. And so I think what's beautiful about these scriptures is like we can we've all been there at some point. If if we've lived long enough, we've suffered intensely. And it may not look like Job. We may not have lost our family and and our money and in our our, you know, we, we may not have had like this triple this triple effect where like, you know, our bodies are frail and, and dec decaying very, very at a very fast pace. And we've lost our money and we've lost our family and we've lost everything we've ever owned. But there is, we can relate to a lot of the words that are here. And, and some of us may even relate to friends that in our darkest time, they treat us in this way. And I think that that is just so heartbreaking. But um, what I love about scripture, it doesn't shy away from a reality that maybe some of us have experienced. And um, I, I think Job responds and, and he says, you know, I hate you guys. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't ever, he doesn't ever say that, but he says, you're the worst. And he starts talking to the Lord. And I think that that's a really uh, good truth that sometimes can get overlooked in all of this is that Job goes from relying on the wisdom or lack thereof of his friends. And he's, he's starting to move the conversation over to God. And, um, and I also appreciate, um, and this sounds really crazy, but I also appreciate um, how the author of this book didn't shy away from the fact that Job was contemplating the end of his life. And I think that when all of us go through seasons of suffering, the hope is in the grave. And that's what scripture says. It's like, just end it for me. I am getting tired of enduring these days. And, and scripture talks about that. And I appreciate the honesty in, in scripture. Um, and then in, in chapter 18, one through 21, Job's friend, Bill doesn't mince words. In a nutshell, he believes that Job doesn't know God. And you can see that in verse 21. And again, what a horrible um, thing to say to somebody that has lived their whole entire life, fully devoted to God, righteous and upright, um, declared at the very beginning of the story. But as this man goes through the darkest days of his life at, at the end of what our reading this week, 
we see his friend Bill is like, look, here's the deal. You clearly don't even know God. I mean, that's nuts. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, again, like he's got to find better friends. There's got, there's people out there for him that'll help him. Well, maybe so, but as we, I've read this book. And so as we get going here, um, maybe the, the lack of friend, like the lack of true wisdom is what's pushing him towards to God. And in his counsel is going to end up coming from God. His hope is not going to be in the grave. I'll give you a, a, a something sneak to think peek. about sneak peek. What he's going to say is one of my favorite lines in scripture. Well, let's not jump too far. Is I'm going to say this and then we're going to roll through Matthew and then we're going to give yeah, you to, go. your workout. But I think uh, what break. he's going to say is this. What he's going to say is this, is that his hope goes from being in the grave and hoping for the death, hoping for like death. And then he's going to say my favorite words in scripture. And he's like, I know that my redeemer lives. And so there becomes this shift in the way that he thinks. And his shift is going to be very encouraging to you guys. I can't wait. All right, Matthew 18. We're still in Matthew 18. And let's journey through that um, relatively quickly. Matthew 18, 10 through 35 uh, teaches us that God's eager to restore the lost. And restoration is always a reason to celebrate. The goal of Christian discipline is restoration and rehab. It is not just sitting under the suffering of your sin. That is not why Jesus Christ came. And so when we think about restoration, think about God going to find the lost. And that's what this parable is about, is the lost sheep. And God is going to find the lost. There's active activity moving towards the lost in this world. That is why Jesus came to us. That's what makes Christianity different than every other religion, is that Jesus Christ came to us to save the lost. And we see that on repeat in Jesus's teaching why he walked this earth and taught about the kingdom of God and um, restoration and rehab is the goal. And so rehab, the hurting to get them back out there. Um, 18, 21 through 35, uh, Peter asks about forgiveness. And then again, we can we can remember about the forgiveness of Jacob when we when we learn that Jacob truly forgave his brothers based on his relationship or founded in his relationship with God. Um, and Jesus responds to Peter by by saying that forgiven people forgive people. And I think that that's really important. If you're ever struggling and you're a Christian, if you're ever struggling with forgiving someone that has offended you, maybe think back on your story and maybe that reality of who you were and what God did in order to save your wretched soul should motivate you to forgive somebody that is also um, in a slump. So I say that and I understand that there are certain situations that are more difficult to forgive, but Jesus Christ says, and if we're going to live our life that models the life of Christ, Jesus Christ say that forgiven people forgive people. And so um, that would be a really good place to turn and meditate on is, is Matthew 18, 21 through 35. If you're in a situation where forgiveness is, um, is something that you're struggling to apply to the life of somebody else. Um, Matthew 19, one through 20 is, uh, is what we read on on day 27 through 29 and Matthew 19, one through 12 talks about divorce and divorce is an incredibly tough subject. I mean, statistically divorce is something that a lot of us are, have been impacted by in our lives. Um, but what scripture says is God loves marriage and God desires for married couples to remain together for life. Um, but I think it's really important that if those, if there are people listening to this podcast that have been affected by divorce, understand there's grace for um divorce and and just lean into 
how much the Lord loves you. And God fills in those gaps when we, when we experience brokenness, that scripture is very, very clear about that. But there's also um, beauty in the clarity of scripture to where God says, look, this is the standard and this is what's good for you. What's good for you is to enter into a marriage with someone that both people are, are pursuing Christ. And, and we have this covenant with God and this covenant with God is what is going to help the couple remain faithful. And I feel a little guilty to just blow through this um, really fast. And so that isn't, you know, I under, divorce pierces I mean, my heart. Like I have a real heart for marriages and a real heart for those that have experienced divorce. So please don't hear that rushing through this, that I don't care deeply for those that are in a season of, of marital conflict or have experienced divorce. Like come to the, come to your church um, if you live in Stillwater, come over, let's have coffee. Like I, I love marriages and I have a, a real heart for those that are um, in, in marriages that end in divorce or that are divorced already. Jesus loves you. And so um, there's grace for, for broken things in scripture, broken marriages, broken relationships, all of it. Um, uh, chapter 19, 16 through 36 is the only account in the Bible, which someone is asked to sell all of their possessions. This is not the guide for everybody. But again, when we talk about the Christian faith, we talk about an inside out way of living. That is what we're learning in Job about what, what goes on on the inside of a person's soul to where the actions are, are displayed outwardly. And so Jesus just says, okay, yeah, go sell everything and follow me. And that this is the only time where he asks someone to do that. But Jesus has this advantage with people that he knows all of who they are. And he knows that that kid was holding on tightly to his wealth and that he was he was going to do everything else that the Lord asked him to do, but he wasn't going to sell everything to follow him. And so um, Jesus says, all right, you love me do this. So what do you think about? That? I think we all have that. Totally. There's something in our lives. It's not maybe not wealth. But I think God knows that there's we all hold on to something that we're like, oh, God, you can have all of this, but I want to keep this over here. Yep, and I'm going to govern this the way yeah, I want to govern. But, um, and I think Jesus, you know, He knows that, and so like in that case, like that's that's all of us. And so I don't know. I just when I read that, I think that we we all can examine, take an inward look at our lives, and say, where are the pockets that I want to hold on to, or hide, or think we're hiding from mm -hmm. God, um, or or we all in, like all in, like yeah. okay, you have it all, like. Um, yeah. and again that takes like like we've uh we were talking about in bible study uh with the boys the other night about uh plato says an unexamined life mm -hmm. is a life that's not worth living and so when i read that parable that's what i think about is like lord in psalm 51 is a perfect example like pray psalm 51 over your life create me a clean heart reveal the things in me that that don't align with what you're with you, you know, and, and I think like examining your life in such a way, when you read this portion of scripture, say, what is it that I am not allowing God to govern or, you know, like, where am I not obedient to the Lord? And, um, I think that that's something to consider when you read Matthew 21 through, um, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, 16 through 36. And so on to Matthew 21 through 16 is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, Jesus is teaching through this parable uh, a couple things that God is just, God is generous, and God has control of every little detail in our life. And as you read through that parable, think about those things. 
Uh, Matthew 20, 17 through 19, Jesus predicts his death for the third time, third time in this time with a lot of details. And so if someone says that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, um, that's absolutely not true. He does it over and over and over again. Just because the the guys didn't know at the time that Jesus was the Messiah doesn't mean that they he didn't claim it. He absolutely claimed throughout scripture that he was the Messiah and this is how he was going to die. And this is why he came. And so the cross of Christ was not plan B. It was plan A from Genesis. And so um, just to put that in the back of your mind. All right, Matthew 20. 28. Um, it closes with our reading today. That's what we close, I guess, with our reading yesterday um, on January 30th, that Jesus's life and mission was selfless. He gave his life intentionally for the sins of humanity. Again, like the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ was not plan B. So he intentionally came here for the sins of humanity if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be women and men that serve others and consider ways where we can be more selfless in our circle of influence. Um, maybe we can die to ourselves in our marriages and with our kids. Like those relationships happen in our home. And so what sorts of ways, um, like why don't you close with this thought? What sorts of practical ways would you suggest that someone die to self in their marriages and in, in their homes? Because many people listen to this are like us. I mean, we're married, we have kids, we're running all over the place. And um, Jesus is saying like, look, seek first the kingdom of God. Like start living like the kingdom of God matters to you. Yeah. And I think doing that in our homes first well, is so important. I think biblical disciplines, obviously reading the word, like thinking about the word throughout the day, thinking about God and, and, and really um running running your life through through like a, a filter of, of god like a filter of jesus like i don't know i i guess when you when you when you make any decisions or you you i don't know i i guess um trying to filter your life through the lens or even through just a if, if you call yourself a christian and you call yourself somebody that um following after jesus that that we should run our lives through um god's thinking about him, reading the word, praying, um, serving, um, not being selfish. Like, I, I guess just those are just things that I when I think about Jesus and attributes that I want. And how do I do that? Well, you have to have biblical disciplines and, and reading the word and praying. And um, and you think that will motivate you to live a life that's less. I mean, I, I just, yeah, you just, I mean, when you're, when that is, when that is the, the what you're putting in. Yeah. The loop in your is, brain. That yeah. is what's coming Absolutely. out. It's like anything else, whatever you, you sort of feed your body is what's coming out. Like if you, yeah. um, if you feed your mind worldly things, then, then worldly actions are going to happen. But if you're feeding your mind, biblical truths and then that's sort of what's going to come out. Yeah, I agree. And so I agree. Um, um, and I, and I think too, like, and I'll say this um, before we close today. Um, I think just a practical thing for me in in my marriage and my parenting is really thinking about the other person. Um, and so in my marriage, like, uh, you know, even small things like going to the grocery store and saying, you know what, Matt would really like this and grabbing that thing and making it for dinner or thinking with my kids, like, you know, Reed is a, is, is real sensitive to sleep. And, and so it's just, I, as much as I want to sit down and watch 
the show that I want to watch, I think it's a better idea to go read a book to read and help him fall asleep. And so um, I sacrifice the show that I really want to watch to sit with Reed and uh, read and, and help him go to sleep. Um, so it's just the little things like that. How can you represent Christ in your home? Um, how can you do little bitty things that make a big difference to those that you love that are motivated um, by by what Jesus says? Jesus says to start living your life um, a little more selflessly. And so uh, maybe we can do that this week with our families and look for ways where we can serve our families in a, a, in a unique way that only you can do because you're the only one that knows your spouse um, in, in a deep way. Um, and so how can you serve your spouse that, that um, would represent Jesus? And how can you serve your family? Um, all right, well, we'll see you guys next week. And we will start with, with January 31st next week. And so um, again, I'm loving this adventure. Thank you so much for going on it with us. Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, visit sportsspectrum.com.